0: He's the wet. I don't understand how this is considered cannibalism. Thank
1: you for the substance we receive. Welcome to Tender Subject, the only podcast made entirely out of head cheese. (laughs) 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 which i'm still not entirely sure sh- yeah i'm not entirely sure what that is but
0: oh i've heard of head cheese before but i, I mean i've like heard of it rural, i don't
1: yeah. yeah my name's kate <laughs> i am a visual artist in philadelphia my pronouns are she her or they them And here's my co-host Jay. (laughs) (laughs) I love the like. And here,
0: and I'm Jay. Um, I am a music librarian in Boston, and I use he/him pronouns. And surprise, surprise, we have another guest. Woo! Yay! Yay. Guest, please introduce (laughs) yourself for everyone.
2: Hey, I am Joe Isaacson. Um, I'm a community college teacher and I wrote yeah. uh, Stepford Daughters Weapons for Feminists in Contemporary Horror, a book through Common Notions Press. And I'm a founding editor of Blindfield Journal and still an editor. Hell yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And I think the first time I encountered
1: you, Joe, was about was reading an essay about in fabric.
2: Oh, nice! Yeah, that that was a great,
1: great essay, great movie. And then I read your book, and it's so rad. Um, Oh, thank you! Excited to have you on. Yeah,
0: my little baby. Also, shouts (laughs) out to community college.
1: Yes, I also yeah, like I appreciate that deeply (laughs) because I bet you, I bet you're a really awesome professor, and I feel like people don't know that there are awesome professors that teach at community college. Yeah,
2: I really love it, and I, I was thinking because Jay Jay's a librarian, we have really great librarians there that Hell are yeah. very lefty, and it's it's not a very lefty area, so it's really nice to have uh, comrades there too. Sweet, Sweet. that rules. Yay. um So we
1: are talking today about the the OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and uh, Joe, you suggested this one. Very do you want to tell us. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we it's like one of those things where it's like is it so big that like we don't cover it or so big that like people would think we don't cover it, but we cover it. <laughs> and we do like we talk about all I mean, there's so many texts about it that it's kind of overwhelming, but like they're all so interesting and we read so many of them and are excited to share. A lot of information with
2: everyone but um, yeah well this will be the definitive text on it you won't need to oh, read yeah. anything after oh this right was. yes exactly <laughs> um, do
1: you want to tell us like your history with the movie
2: and why you suggested it yeah sure I mean I kind of grew up thinking that it was like so terrifying and horrifying that I would never watch it and I, I don't usually actually write about slashers so I, I came to it kind of late, but then when you then I I think I saw it in you know in my twenties and I it's a beautiful art movie, I think, on some level. Mm-hmm. I mean it is really, you know, harsh in some ways, but it was nothing like I expected it like to be. I expected it to be just misogynist trash the way it was talked about as as a Same. teenager. <laughs> and so I was really shocked by that. And then I think it was, you know, maybe six months ago, one of my friends just reminded me that it was gonna be the fiftieth anniversary of it next year and was like, Hey, we should maybe like, you know, do a journal or do a book or something like that about it. So I, I haven't gotten that deep into it yet because we're we're still shopping it around, I guess, a little bit. But I'm like, it just seemed like a really great time to kind of think about it memorialize it and to think about how it lives on in so many ways I mean it's 50 years old but it feels like everybody's still talking about it there's tons of inner texts with it and ways in which you know it's every every other movie is kind of speaking to it in the slasher genre so yeah and yeah every time I go back to it I'm just kind of astounded by certain moments in it and i've never really gotten to sit down and just have a long talk with somebody so about it so i'm really excited to chat with oh, y'all sweet yeah nice yeah and jay you've never seen it
0: before i had never seen it before no. I- no which is like wild because I was like, i'm such a, a horror fan right and it just like this one just like obviously i'd heard of it and i knew about it and everything but just like it was just one i never got around to i've also never seen like a nightmare in elm street like like there's or there's some of these that are like big titans that i've just like not seen because i never got around to them yeah and um i i loved it i was so pleasantly surprised um when i watched it like i it's not that i was expecting it to be bad or anything i was expecting it like to be shla- good
1: i feel like you think it's going to be schlocky and it's not schlocky
0: really yeah and it's like i um I I think the thing I was mainly worried about was like ableism and mm-hmm. this sort of um, like I I'm from a rural area right I'm I'm from the part of Illinois that thinks it's Kentucky originally <laughs> um, you know and it's like I grew up in a town of like seven thousand people so it's not like I grew up on a farm but like I'm from a rural area i say y'all like (laughs) i you know i all this stuff and so this sort of like country bumpkin uh maniac thing is always kind of i mean i'm sure we'll get into this is always kind of like sensitive because it's like my grandpa fucking went to union picnics even after he retired and took me with him so fuck you like (laughs) you know yeah, and it's like, kind of
2: about that, right? It's about yeah. the integration of yeah, you know, absolutely, rural figure.
0: And I was like pleasantly surprised with like, especially like with like with Leatherface. Uh, um, it wasn't I, I was expecting um, like horror and depicting mental health of, mm-hmm. or any kind of deformity, quote unquote, is always not a good mix. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised. We'll we'll put it that way with Leatherface's portrayal. And when I watched it last night, one of my roommates had already gone to bed and um, I had to have the volume down really low because my other roommate was (laughs) cooking and is a scaredy cat and and didn't there's a be lot scared. of screaming <laughs> yeah that's yeah. like and so the last third <laughs> of the movie is screaming <laughs> so i i had the tv down like i had subtitles on and i had the tv down so low that i almost couldn't hear anything so i was like mm, i bet i'm missing like a lot of like m- music and stuff and then when i like went and like read the imdb it was like there's almost no music in the film it's no, just the sounds of all... slaughterhouses and stuff yeah. i was like oh okay
1: which is really cool. It's all like, yeah. mechanical sounds. And, um, you know, there's like the camera sounds at the beginning. And yeah, just like various animal sounds and crunching and things like yeah. that. Like no music at all. It's also not nearly as gory. I think people just think, you know, slasher, like there's just blood everywhere and it's there's barely gory. any blood no it's yeah not there's he went for any. a pg rating yeah, yeah he did <laughs> yeah which, <laughs> which technically, yeah it's pre-pg-13 i guess so it's like you kind of that's a real yeah. big jump from one to the next i can't believe mm-hmm. it was that long before they came up with an in-between
0: <laughs> yeah like this is like a good like you know if you are someone who can't handle gore and blood and stuff yeah. in your horror or like a good like quote teen horror not that teens and kids can't handle darker gorier stuff but like the 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 genre of the teen horror where it's maybe a little toned down um i feel like this would fit really good in that and is also just like really scary on its own because it doesn't show a lot of that stuff
2: I know. I still feel it's so bizarre that I, as a teenager, Mm -hmm. I was just told over and over that this was the goriest, most explicit movie out there. That's what I was expecting. No no blood.
0: (laughs) The fact where the when the when the hitchhiker was like cutting his hand open, it was freaking me out so much because like I was expecting this like you know this like splatter fest of a film. And the tension is just so high that someone just cutting their hand and you barely see it was like enough to have me be like, oh my God, okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, I think it's the raw aesthetic that makes you feel. Like yeah. You're I mean, I think they like assaulted with violence basically, but when you're, when it's all implied, right? Right. Yeah. And like there's, it's
1: kind of cool that there's like material reasons for that too, where, you know, it's, it was an extremely low budget movie and they I think they couldn't it was there was I read something that like they couldn't afford a lot of blood and they tried to like you know <laughs> so they were like budgeting their blood and um you know so like when you can know afford that. a lot funny. of yeah isn't that crazy <laughs> and like yeah. if you just don't have the money for things you know so much of it has to by you know design be off screen or you know about tension and and terror and not actually showing
0: the gore. Yeah, it's very Hitchcockian.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's so much of that movie was just shaped by the budget and just hearing the, the behind the scenes stories of. You know them just working for three day stretches without yes. sleeping in like a hundred degree heat and not changing. Like I think Leatherface uh, didn't change his shirt for the entire thing because they only had one sh- blood soaked shirt for him. So nobody would sit next to him or eat next to him because he smelled. So Ew. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like really incredible. Uh, uh, impacted by that low budget.
0: Yeah, I heard I, I read that like for the dinner scene that like the smell of everything plus like the rotting meat because yes. all of the like animal carcasses and stuff in the film are actual animal carcasses. That it would like people had to like take little breaks to go throw up outside. Yeah. Out.
1: I've heard <laughs> I've heard that as well. Yeah. I think it, it's yeah, like I, the was... most
2: miserable shoot of all time. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which is kind of funny because I, you know, one of the um essays we read. Which one? Oh, Head Cheese and a Side of ben which was great, but they talked about how it was like a working class set, which is really cool, but like the working conditions were not wonderful. Um, So I don't know how much you can applaud. Like, it's a student film in a in a lot of ways. And like they did what they could. But like, yeah, there were definitely some people who were uh, traumatized on the set.
2: Yeah, and they never made any money cuz there was some kind of strange like loan that they had to take out that like ended up giving, you know, nobody but Toby Hooper ever made money on it, I think of all the actors. So. Such a bummer. It's sort of tragic. Yeah. But I um, know, I hate that. And yet it does so much to talk about class like you
1: said. It does. Yeah. Yeah, so where do we even want to where do we want to start? I really I think one of the things that I thought was really interesting is like the way it's set up from the very beginning as like it's set up as a true story mm. mm-hmm. you know, which I always think is a it's just you know it's an interesting choice that like you know it's like okay, this real did this really happen? it really happened And I think that probably adds to the mystique of this being one of the scariest movies ever is that like is it or isn't it a true story? You know, it's like definitely based a little bit on the serial killer Ed Gein, but there isn't a tax, a Texas, wow, a Texas chainsaw massacre. But like you could see that people would think there (laughs) might be. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like
2: metaphorically, it is a true story because I don't know. I'm always thinking about how horror is like the true realism because it can show these very dark things that you know, you can't actually show through like what we call truth or what we call mm-hmm. realism. Um, so, and on that level, it's sort of, you know, is a, is a true story, especially with the beginning with all these like news reels about oh, like yeah. the horrors that are going on in the world. And so giving it this kind of rich context, you know, context of crisis, economic crisis and kind of emotional crisis uh, of the seventies. So it's it's kind of fascinating that way. Yeah, I loved that part that there um, it was
1: like built into a news program that like the first part of the story was about like the grave robbing. And then it was like and then another bad thing happened and then another bad thing. And it's like the 70s seem seem like an incredibly traumatic, violent time for people to have lived through. or or at least the news
2: sets it up that way for everyone. Yeah. And there's all this really interesting work setting up this just sort of horrifying crisis. It's like the gas crisis of the time, the sort of environmental crises are talked about in the radio and, you know, and then then Pam reading about the kind of transition from the age of Aquarius to Saturn. So it's like, it's the end of the sixties counterculture and the beginning of this kind of Nixonian era. And it's all just kind of, you know, not super didactic, but set up at the beginning to, to give it context.
0: Right. Like the thing that struck me was when they pick up the the hitchhiker who is later, we learn, one of the Sawyers that, you know, he talks about working in a, um, he talks with one of the, I think, Franklin. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm really bad with names um, about like slaughterhouse work and how like the gun, the the air gun um, is no good like the and not just because like the dying's better with the hammer but the air gun he explicitly mentions is a way to take jobs away is like another thing so like this like right. technology coming in in the industrialized like farming process like t- even though like a human being theoretically operates that air gun right it's still taking jobs away because maybe you don't need as many people or whatever but like this like also like technology coming in and like alienating people even further in in their work and um you know it's very similar fears that like we talk about like today and stuff like it was just like it was just so interesting to like hear someone talking about like oh yeah this machine coming in is taking my labor away you know it's like tale as old as time right
2: Yeah. And the whole family, that was their skill. They were crafts, you know, people, or, you know, they were, they were employed as slaughters. And that was, and now they're, they're just sort of surplus populations that are roaming, you know, this, this kind of abandoned space. So you get the feeling, you know, he, you know, they're, he has a kind of pride about how well they were able to do it and how his grandfather had it as a skill. So it's not just like random madness or mental illness. It's like very socially anchored in their sort of predicament of having been made obsolete by yeah mechanization and deindustrialization and you know inequality basically.
1: Yeah, in that the article had cheese with a side of Benhamine, which I every time I say it, I it cracks me up. By Jerry D. Metz, he talks about that, like, the image economy in the 70s was booming. So, like, you know, film media was, like, making tons and tons of money. And, like, the images reflected back to the working class and, like, returning Vietnam vets were, like, not a reflection of their reality at all. So it was interesting to think about, like, this is a film that is made with the intention of actually trying to think of those people you know that like there's this like sort of slickness that's starting to happen in um the image economy that is just like com- you know it is like completely moved the meaning of all of it has completely moved away from just like the proletariat
2: Yeah. And that's kind of like one of Robin Wood's main readings of this film is that it's sort of he sets it in contrast to The Omen, which came out around the same time Mm. and just looked at the sort of, you know, raw, formal uh, sort of choices and the kind of low budget and the non-actors as a sort of alternate form of representation that was able to capture this sort of, uh, or or to sort of refute the slickness of films like The Omen that were high budget, and and that usually those those other films like The Omen would end in a sort of um, restitution of like calm, and we've gotten rid mm. of the monster, and now we're you know we're back into normality, whereas you know, something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is sort of open-ended and it it, it doesn't, it doesn't take back that disruption. It just sort of, that it ends with sort of um, horror enduring rather than being solved or, or, you know, repressed, re-repressed, you know, you know, into the the banished, uh, the sunken place or whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the highway scene is incredibly chaotic and, you know, you don't know what happens to Leatherface. Like, Sally gets in a in the back of a truck. You don't really know what happens to her. She's, like, covered in blood. And, like, her screaming that turns into laughter. It's definitely not a, like, settled ending. Sorry. Oh, spoilers.
0: <laughs> but whatever.
1: But, yeah, it's not, like, a settled,
2: calm ending. And it ends very abruptly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the most beautiful and chaotic moments of, you know, of Leatherface just dancing around with the chainsaw with like the sun kind of reflecting behind him. And it's just like, kind of, yeah, we're entering in this world of madness that we don't know if it will ever end kind of thing. And I think that it's interesting that, you know, in some ways he and Sally are kind of mirrored at the end rather than antagonists. Mm -hmm. They're both just in this kind of crazed nonverbal state, you know? So People, you know, kind of like Carol Clover talks about this kind of idea of urbanoia with this of, you know, that in a lot of these slasher movies, the sort of rural figures are kind of symbols of like middle class guilt that their privilege like is dependent on ostracizing and um, impoverishing rural, you know, you know, impoverished people. And that they are set against these kind of bourgeois, like, women often, and and then these kind of male proletariats. But I don't know if, like, Sally's really privileged either. Like, I kind of think those kids are also kind of drifting and don't really have, like, I don't think anyone in that movie has, like, a place in the world.
0: I mean, Franklin's in a wheelchair. Right. Exactly.
2: Yeah. He's especially mirroring the, the Sawyer family. Yeah,
1: I think they're all fairly precarious. Because you know, there's the scene where they go to try and get gas, and it's funny because I, you know, was thinking like, oh right, there's a gas shortage, but like that wasn't intentional. But it is intentional.
2: Yeah, totally. You know, so
1: in the '70s, you know, there was a gas shortage, and you know, so these people try and get gas, and like that's part of the setup. You know, that they they get stuck in the town overnight. So it's like you know, they're all in a. Per- a sort of, like, precarity of the, like, hyper-capitalism of the 70s, you know, that, again, like, there's the image economy showing, like, this, you know, sort of slickness as, like, we go into, like, get out of, like, the age of Aquarius and get into, like, Nixon and and then, like, Reagan, but in reality, you know, people are getting stuck, in various places because they don't have gas they don't
2: have money they don't have jobs yeah totally and there's i haven't read it really recently but there's this article uh blood for oil by chuck jackson where he talks about you know even that inaugural moment as these like corporate trucks like knock over franklin's wheelchair and like like send Mm -hmm. him like over a hill that this kind of corporate you know kind of tyranny over the economy and the sort of, yeah, the gas shortage and that there's kind of blood and, and gas are kind of mimicking each other as these kind of circulating forms of horror.
0: Yeah, because again, it's like, you know, why is there a gas shortage, right? Why is our air guns being brought into the slaughterhouse? These are part of the same machine that um, wants more and more and more in order to, like, make the wealthy wealthier and everything, uh, exploiting everyone. So it's not just like, I mean, even if these teens, these, you know, even if our our van of folks were privileged in any way, it's like, they're also being, they're not part of the class that is exploiting the Sawyers. They are also being exploited.
2: Yeah. And it's like, they go to their sort of ancestral home, which, Marks that they did have money at one point, you know, because it's big, but it's like completely desiccated and like neglected and in disarray. And it just seems to be a sign of like general class crisis. And then Franklin is so obsessed with the slaughterhouse and with the old techniques of of killing and this kind of thing that you can see that he's also looking for meaning in those older forms of labor because he hasn't been given a new sense of meaning to to grasp onto
1: yeah i definitely agree with that back to the so thinking about like franklin and his conversation with the hitchhiker um when they're in the car Um, There's a Carol Clover quote that got mentioned in like every article I read about um, (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's so good. But um, she says, when the hitchhiker slices his own hand for the thrill, the onlookers recall in horror, all except Franklin, who seems fascinated by the realization that all that lies between the visible, knowable outside and the secret inside are not physiological spaces, but planes of identity. Which I think Mm. is just, like, that was one of those, you know, like, those quotes that kind of just, like, punch you in the gut, because you're like, yes, that's so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like, like you said, Jay, at the beginning, actually, it's one of the few times that you see, like, blood come from a person, because it's important, it's so important, you know, that he, the hitchhiker, like, slices his hand, and then he takes a picture of Franklin And then he slices Franklin and it's like, you know, turning Franklin from subject to object. And then, you know, just this, this whole relationship that they have together where they're sort of like kind of, they're almost like understanding each other for a minute. And then there's this like violence that interrupts that.
2: Yeah. And there's, you know, that's maybe where we could bring in some, things about cannibalism because yeah. that's yeah, the thing that, that separates <laughs> on this podcast about <laughs> cannibalism. No. <laughs> um, so guys, they eat people in this movie. Just so Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. There's cannibalism. So you yeah. G-
0: Guillermo del Toro apparently went vegetarian because of this movie. Oh, right. Oh. I read that. That's amazing.
2: No. But yeah, what <laughs> separates us from them is that they are cannibals and we're not. But of course, Franklin, once they go to the gas station, he's not only given humans to eat, but he's got <laughs> this like sausage hanging from his face, like for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes <laughs> of like human meat that he doesn't know it's human meat, but but he he soon becomes a, a cannibal himself. And that, that you know, what Clover calls a thin mem- membrane between, you know, this inside and outside is broken, I think, at that point where he's unwittingly partaking in cannibalism yeah i know it's uh, uh, the yeah the uh, the int- the whole
1: slicing of the hand i think is so is such a like big important part of this movie you know that like yeah that the things that terrify us you know like the abjection of cannibalism the things that terrify us are are just this like feeling of a loss of control Um, of our own bodies and like others others bodies and it's really like bringing that sort of symbolic idea right and you know in your face it's like okay I'm cutting my hand and now you have to see like the blood pour out of it and they're talking about yeah and they're talking about like industrialized farming which I mean we can get into it or not get into it but you know is its own kind of like extreme violence towards other things that we think are objects and not subjects
2: (laughs) yeah and the first time they bring up the slaughterhouse they're driving and they cut to the cows and kind of like you get close up on their faces so i think there is a really explicit like acknowledgement that you know these animals are going to be slaughtered and and we should we should have sympathy for them it's not you know and that that cannibalism is a continuity of that of that violence Mm
0: -hmm. i mean the sawyers have like dead animal corpses and stuff like hanging and sitting around all over their house it's it's like again like one of our very second second or third episode was on motel hell meat is meat right and it's like the the uh, this violence it's it's all the the same It might have different outcomes and effects like you know i'm vegetarian but i think killing a human being is uh, worse in several magnitudes and reasons than killing a an animal you know a non-human animal right i don't want a non-human animal to be killed but like they're not the same to me but like It's 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 kind of very student filmy. How obvious (laughs) it is in this film. It's like we're talking about the slaughterhouse shot of cows, (laughs) like you know,
2: Pam getting hooked on a meat hook. (laughs) It's very
0: Potemkin, you know. Like someone watched some Eisenstein and was like, "Oh, montage, cool!" (laughs) Like I'm gonna make communist movies now. Like (laughs) that's what editing is. It's making your movies communist. But uh, I
1: get that yeah. but also I do think it was like it's an interesting like choice you know to out of narrative mm-hmm. out of like getting out of like narrative cinema for a second and just like oh yeah flashing cows in front of your face like yeah as a as a reminder the violence is a continuum
2: yeah and it does seem like it's a cry against the slickness of narrative genre that's just you know, tries to keep you in the story, and it kind of it jolts you out, and you know, takes away even more of the naturalism of of the story of the people. And I don't know, you know, within the context of of a horror movie, it feels kind of fresh to have that, you know, documentary like or or Eisenstein. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yeah. It
0: did feel very. I've never seen that in like again, a slasher. With, yeah. <laughs> right. Like it, it had this movie had the weirdest pacing right it yeah. was like it was only like 80 something minutes so you it's not even it's not even a tight 90 right and um <laughs> it's like there's it's so there's so much tension right at the beginning that i'm like already stressed out in the best yeah
1: way. and then <laughs> yeah. it's
0: just like people screaming and flailing their arms for like the last bit and there's just like no sense of time that's happening there which like with the slasher like like compare this like halloween maybe which i think halloween is one of the greatest films that's ever been made like carpenter shouts out like i fucking love (laughs) halloween that's one of my favorite movies so good uh and it's and it's got a similar sort of silent stalking killer kind of thing but like halloween has like pacing to it it's got like a sense of time to it right i feel like texas chainsaw massacre does not have a sense of time to it in the best way like i mean that as like a high compliment like th- it was really fascinating how out of time i felt and I, I mean also i have adhd so i'm bad at that anyway but like <laughs> it's like, like time blindness is real my dudes but like it was still so just like every m- moment was now and then this abrupt ending happened it was like oh shit okay like i knew the dancing chainsaw thing was happening i didn't know that was a final shot of the fucking movie (laughs) i was like oh shit cool um (laughs) so yeah i I think it like it 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 creates the slasher genre that we know in a lot of ways like it predates a lot of these other things but kind of like with the cannibal manifesto episode we did where they talk about they are can't they are um a col- like the colonizing forces our culture that is already that had already that they had already been cannibalizing right the sort of like Ouroboros of like cultural reference and um consumption yeah um it i, I It kind of i don't know i'm making no sense at this point but that's kind of the vi- like no
1: i see you're kind how, of si- yeah yeah <laughs> talking about like the the genre, like, yeah. being subverted in different ways, which is, like, you know, the, the ultimate text, I guess, would be Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol Clover, you know, who, like, pretty much maps out, like, here are the things that are involved in a slasher. And I was thinking a lot about, like, you know, there's, like, the terrible place, there's the killing, like, object... And then there's the final girl and like, you know, Clover coined that term and now it's like something everyone uses and then like everyone self-consciously subverts in some or, you know, a lot of people try to subvert that in some way. And like, it's interesting because this movie, you know, Sally is the final girl, but Franklin is one of the things about the final girl is like. She's supposed to be like the one who notices the most and is kind of like keeping track of everything and in this movie I feel like Franklin is the one who does that and like you know I could see that being tied to being a disabled person that that's like a thing that you are more you're more on your guard at all times but you know so this movie is like within the genre of slasher and like a big example of it, but also subverting a lot of things.
2: Yeah, I really think Franklin, you know, and also just being sort of outside of the sort of sexual norms, because mm-hmm. like the other two couples are just like these pretty couples are having so much fun. And Franklin's like, kind of left out of the that. And and so he's like, given, you know, the task of being the one who notices. And then just all the kind of, I mean, this is, I guess, on a different track but the way that he mimics this the Sawyer family like you know at one point Hitch does this thing where he's like sputtering and chasing the van and like babbling Mm -hmm. um, inarticulately, and then like when they go to their kind of ancestral home and all the the teens go into like play around and make out or whatever and they, they leave Franklin out and don't even help him get his wheelchair and he makes those same like sounds and gestures so he's in this kind of liminal place between the two groups
1: yeah I mean they don't even they all go upstairs and they're all like noticing these details about the house and it's like you know Franklin has to be downstairs because no one helps him upstairs so it's like you know he has to start like taking note of all the different things that are going on and yeah like as a disabled person myself like I think that you know you are constantly sort of either on guard to the outside or or conscious of all of these things that you like have to do in order to just like function and move around in the world
2: absolutely yeah and I think this movie, even though it's not, like, super delicate, it, it does have sympathy with, you know, the ways that people with disabilities are considered monstrous. It's, like, mm-hmm. you know, just that kind of framing with Franklin. And then, you know, if we see Leatherface as somebody with a disability, like, there's that, there's a moment where they just show him just sort of worrying. And you can oh see. Oh, my God. I loved that, that like, scene. Isn't that the yeah. best? It's yes. so good. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that yeah and it's like you know you know what guess who came into who else's home right he yes inside his home he didn't go out to get those kids they like walked into his house it's like a home invasion movie right yeah it really is <laughs> i and
0: was like,
2: thinking about that so yeah. much yeah. <laughs> yeah that like
1: so in uh one of the articles we read like there was um there were some barts references which i was like oh man i haven't thought about him since grad school but you know he w- didn't like to be photographed because he felt that like he wants to like preserve his like zone of space where he's an Im- n- not an image or an object like he's just and he said he said it was his political right to be a subject to protect and I was thinking about like you know that's a privacy that like people want to protect that gets violated and then like yeah these people are violating the privacy of Leatherface's home like he didn't expect any of those people to come and like you're in the middle of nowhere in the country and then these like random people just start walking like one after another (laughs) start walking into your house right? (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs)
0: And, like, I I feel like Leatherface is so, like, the way that this film treats disability um, or any kind of non-normative way of having a body or mind, right, is that, like, Leatherface is also just, like, following the orders of his family um, or, like, acting out of fear, right? And so, like, it's this film, like, my, my thoughts slipped away from me. <laughs> it like instead of necessarily showing that leatherface is monstrous because of his disability um or differing ways of being right um however we might interpret him it's like it's just another way that like he, it shows that he's exploited um mm-hmm. because of, how he is like his family even exploits him right this system that ruined their livelihood exploits him so it's again like if we sort of like map exploitation (laughs) in this film and like you know how does that same exploitation like the same system like how does it exploit franklin based on his disability right Um, like Leatherface isn't a monster because of whatever it's um, he's made a monster because of sort of how he is forced to react to being exploited
2: Mm -hmm. totally and there's this like poignant scene where you know he's you know cook comes in and it's his brother. I don't, in, when I first saw the movie, I thought it was his father, but when you yeah read about it, he's, it's his brother, but yeah. And he's beating him and yelling at yeah. him for not, you know, taking care of the house properly, you know, um, and, and, and so he's, you know, he's, and he assumes the place of basically a battered. Woman, or at the time, he's He's even wearing wearing like grandma mask. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He's wearing grandma mask at the time. So, you know, he's really, you know, feminized in this way. And, and yeah, getting it from both the outside as this kind of obsolete, you know, formerly proletarian worker, and then from the inside as this kind of basically battered woman, you know? So, you know, and it made me think of the Jeffrey Jerome uh, Cohen's thing on the monster culture is that, you know, a true monster, the way that they're other can't really be contained to one category. It just comes to assume all these forms of like Mm. differences that allow for you know, the proper subject to feel like they're proper by you know disavowing these aspects of themselves, of class and and gender and this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and like when they all gather together and start, you know, sort of assuming, you know, because at first you you just see Leatherface by himself and you see the hitchhiker by themselves, and like you know you know that they're probably related, but like you know they're their own entities. They're not like in a domestic setting. And, you know, it, it could be that Leatherface lives in this house by himself and is just sort of, like, up to no good in general. <laughs> but then, you know, when everyone comes home, you see that it is this, like, domestic scene, you know, that, like, Leatherface is expected to make dinner and set the table for these other two men to, you know, who who are kind of, like, traveling through the world outside, they come home, and you know Leatherface is expected to be serving them, and you know like his day has already been just a just incredibly chaotic. <laughs>
2: you know he's had quite a day <laughs> in the quite a day at the office
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like he was i'm sure he was preparing some other human but was not expecting to have to kill three other ones <laughs> 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 or four i guess four but yeah. um there's this one scene i it's like n- you know not like a or I don't know, maybe it's not a huge thing, but it was a huge thing to me that, like, so when the first, who's the first guy, Kurt, walks in? I think that's him. When he first comes in and, you know, he hears these, like, noises, and, you know, I guess presumably it's Leatherface making, like, kind of animal noises. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And you see that, like, the door's open, and then there's another door behind it, that's also open and there's this like beautiful red wall with like antlers all over it and then like very quickly Leatherface comes out he kills Kurt pulls him in and then instead of closing a regular door he closes like a meat locker door very quickly and it's like this amazing it's almost like opening and closing of like a portal in the house you know where like at first the house is this like Oh, it's just like a regular domestic kind of like you know Texas farmhouse, and then this like freeze like meat locker door closes and it's like a completely different world of this house. And then Pam comes in and sees even more of the house, which I feel like we should talk about <laughs> the aesthetics, very well decorated house <laughs> aesthetics of, of cannibalism. <laughs>
0: Why? Why? Why is it always fucking antlers? <laughs> you know why? Antlers why are on antlers on a red wall?
1: I don't know. I think people just love. Yeah, it's like. a...
0: Why is that cannibal aesthetic? You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. That's not really the well. So that is to me like that's like forward facing, domestic uh, farmhouse. Yeah. You know, and then when the door closes, it's like and reopens you get to kind of see what's actually happening at the back half of the house. Which is, you know, chairs where the the back is made from like rib bones. <laughs> like a chaise made of bones and Shaves. like yeah, teeth everywhere. Feathers and Yeah. The production team must have had a really good time making bone bone furniture.
2: Yeah, I've, I remember reading a long time ago that the the artist that made that was really proud of it and still has them. You know, amazing. Yeah, like, yeah, they're they're really there are really good. some of them are very beautiful. Some yeah, little, like icons and emblems or are...
1: yeah, because there's also like you know at the very beginning the the hitchhiker is like making art with the bodies that he's like I assume assuming it's him. You know that he's pulling out of graves and then also taking pictures so there is like an aesthetic quality to what they're doing as well like they're not just like hacking up bodies and just like throwing away the bones like they're using everything.
2: Yeah, and I think it goes back to the article that you showed us about sort of aura and like, mm-hmm. you know, these are individual artworks that are not replicable and they're made with like flesh and blood. And they're, you know, they, they have this kind of uh, sort of antithesis or they are a sort of antithesis to this reproducibility that's made these people obsolete of just like mass produced images and mass produced kind of meat and things that are you know have no sort of uniqueness anymore
1: oh I love that yeah you, you can't buy your bone chaise at Ikea <laughs> like it is <laughs> Probably incredibly <you> <laughs> yeah it is absolutely not reproducible because it's like made you know by various unique bodies totally yeah and there's like a you know, the the hitchhiker has a camera that is, you know, that's a Polaroid and he keeps all the photos with him. Like he shows the, like the hippies in the van, all of his photos and like is clearly very proud of like the work that he is making, you know, that like he is, he's a unemployed, (laughs) he's an unemployed abattoir worker who now has a side hustle as a, Art photographer. <laughs>
0: I mean, but it's also like very sim- symbolic of like you know, this, this like break that we're seeing with like, you know, with the 60s and even before then, like, but you know, mainly with the, the 60s, since we were talking about sort of age of Aquarius, right? Is that like there's a sort of like, you know, the sort of like dreamy romanticizing of what you do, right? Like his work is art and his, um, like it has meaning and he gets meaning from it and he likes you know but then like after with like Nixon and Reagan like everything is just like I mean not that it wasn't commodified before but it's like commodified and like everything is for consumption instead of appreciation Mm -hmm, I guess yeah
2: yeah, I think that's, that's what's going on. It kind of made me think, you know, for him to have the Polaroid, which is like, even for then, like, I guess, a slightly archaic form of technology for f- photography, just all these movies, like it follows, or you see where the, the technology, it's not that it's like a Luddite thing, and there's no technology, but it's like slightly out of time, it's slightly in the past. And just that that kind of reminds us of, you know, that sort of non-reproducibility that moment when we we associated art with like non-reproducibility you know having gone into this like postmodern abyss of like you know you know the society the spectacle or whatever um but like Mm -hmm. something that has purchase on that on that you know endless sort of mediation that that is our world now
1: yeah and that has like objects and like um tangible sounds you know like mechanical sounds and mechanical like ways of you know when you're like forwarding the film and you take a picture and it like makes a real noise it's not like you know now our phones make like a camera noise when you take a picture if you want them to (laughs) but like you know this is like an actual camera that is doing that thing and then producing like a tangible touchable object from that thing and like you know that the hitchhiker taking photos of like his work and that you know his art and then taking photos of Franklin and like you know the other people in the car you know he and then when they kind of like betray him he like very ritualistically like destroys the photo that he took of Franklin which is like right there you're like bad news buddy (laughs) That doesn't look good for you. When someone takes out like some, what? Well, what did he? I've heard people say like different things. It was like herbs, but it they exploded. So I'm assuming it was like
2: gunpowder. Yeah, I think it was gunpowder. or yeah. something, it, he just, he doesn't just light that photo on fire. He no, but <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the way he does it is extremely like
1: ceremonial. You know, like totally. And it's like, you know, hey, if somebody takes a picture of you and you reject it and then they set it on fire with gunpowder, it's like real bad <laughs> vibes. <Yeah. laughs> which Things aren't going well.
0: <laughs> which makes me wonder. So something I found fascinating about this film, like, it was not just like you know it's it it would be so easy just to talk about like the gender politics of this film find mm-hmm. a girl whatever but like there's like a queerness here as well like the way that he sort of reacts to being rejected a bit by franklin and like the fact that leatherface dresses up as a like wears the face of a woman twice um not just yeah. once but like mm-hmm. at the end that he's wearing the pretty woman um head mask and so like i don't know what maybe y'all's thoughts were on like how this film sort of portrays queerness both in like desire but also like what do we make of Leatherface, right like i, I don't know necessarily if i get like a trans reading from Leatherface, but hmm there's I, I don't know like i feel like there's such a an interesting queerness that's happening there especially with the the hitchhiker and like how he interacts and reacts to to the to franklin hmm.
2: yeah i mean i have another thing that i want to ask you guys about with gender yeah. and other face but before that like that that question i mean it seems like the that you know the normative Hetero characters are the young, two young couples, and everyone else is outside of that normative oh, yeah. hetero yes. beauty and like sunshine and light. With everybody worships your way of have, making love or whatever. So <laughs> it seems like they all the other characters are kind of quoted queer and then kind of shown that you know to be rejected for that like lack of heteronormativity and and that's that it's very explicit in that you know you know you're supposed to think those two couples of like are the ideal of of what sexuality should be right yeah and
1: you don't get to know them at all and they're just kind of like killed off very quickly
2: which is fun yeah you just like, <laughs> just, like Kill disperse, the <laughs> just
1: disperse with them like move on we move on with them and then there's that scene when Sally's at the dinner table where she's like, I'll do anything you guys want me to do. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not what we're interested in from you. Totally. You know? So it's like her, yeah, her way, I think at first of like, you know, I mean, she's just trying to survive. And, you know, so she's like being calculating and thinking like, what could these people possibly want from me? Like, you know, it's three men and maybe But she's a, used maybe to that's four. what gets her what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> right, Sorry. right no I was trying to think I was like three men and grandfather so sort of four.
2: <laughs> oh, but yeah that just reminded me to Jay's question that moment where grandpa sucks her Ooh. finger I
0: wanted to talk about that oh, so much man. I want to talk about that okay let's point, talk yeah.
1: about that yeah because I really thought he was dead
0: <laughs> but that's also like some of the most direct cannibalism we see yeah, I mean, hey, someone yeah. sucking blood right and it's almost like vampire empiric in, in a way yeah like, like that's how
1: they're keeping their grandfather going is like yeah sucking the blood of the youth <laughs> as they as they like you know move through their small town
2: yeah they're explicitly called vampires by franklin like a whole family of nosferatus or something oh like that. yeah 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 <laughs> But that kind of, like, is the closest thing also you get to, like, an erotic anything. And it's, yeah, really perverse. So, I mean, in that way, it's kind of the cannibalism is conflated with this kind of queerishness, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. And then, you know, I think, um,
1: you know, going back to, like, Carol Clover, and I think you said this earlier, Joe too, that, like, um, there's there's a mirroring between, like, Leatherface and Franklin, but there's also... You know, I guess according to Clover, one with Sally and Leatherface that like the thing that the final girl and the killer have in common is like levels of repression Mm. and that she at the beginning you're like identifying her as a victim and then at the end you're like rooting for her as a killer herself you know, that she's like, you know, if we want to get super psycho- analytical, like she's castrating Leatherface.
2: Yeah, she's like, a. I think Clover's term is like the victim hero, uh, but with emphasis on the victim. <laughs> right. Because you really have to like go with, through her suffering. Yeah. I mean, and for that reason, I think it is really terrifying. Like that whole dinner scene of her screaming is much scarier than like a lot of blood to me. It's just like, oh, and, yeah, and those kinds of like man ray kind of shots of her eyeball and like, oh, yeah, like those oh God, yes. oh,
0: that was like some of the best cinematography I've ever seen yeah. in my fucking life it's is those so fucking scary. eyeballs. I've never seen. He, yeah, it was so man, right? It was so like that scene in Psycho where the it's her eye and then like the drain, mm-hmm, like as it's totally. spiraling, right? Like which is so good, it makes me mad every time I watch it. Right? <laughs> like, and this, I think uh, it's uh, scary. Hitchcock. No. It's also scary
1: because it's confusing, you know, because she yeah. offers the thing that seems like what they would want, you know, like oh, you kidnapped this like attractive young woman whose shirt is half torn off. And like the, you know, the typical like heterosexual reading would be like, okay, so offer them your body, you know, and like they that's like a way that you can figure out how to get out of it. But like they don't want that. And that's even scarier. You're like, what on earth do you want? You know, like, how is this going to go down? Because I can't even imagine it, you know?
2: Yeah, that's, like, nowhere in their, like, libidinal economies to, right. like, you know, ha- have sex with a young blonde girl. <laughs> that's just not where
0: <laughs> – but- it, It's very, like, in – oh, God, what is it? What is it? The Strangers, that fucking movie, where they ask, like, why are you doing this to us? And they just say, because you were home. Like, so <laughs> yeah, fucking scary. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, and in, in this way, it's, like – why are you doing this to us because you invaded our home
0: <laughs> yeah no shit like this really is like a reverse like home invasion film
2: yeah totally. but yeah but they do seem to be libidinal figures in that like they're so i mean especially like hitch and and uh leatherface are so exuberant like when mm-hmm. when they're like the final chainsaw dance and when like hitch is like dancing along the the van and and the kind of manicness at the dinner party that they're kind of imitating her and howling there's something and i think that goes with the cannibalism as the kind of taboo it's like an object of dread but it's an object of desire right like to be a cannibal would be to be free of all the repressions that we have that like Robin Wood says that allows us to only get pleasure out of like normative things, like, you know, having sex with a blonde girl or whatever. And to right. just allow us to be like one big, like id or one big, like libidinal throb all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cause they're like,
0: they kind of are set up to kind of like structure. They're like the perversion of a nuclear family.
2: Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, The thing, it's interesting, because, yeah, when you think of it that way, I feel like, you know, there's a reading of this film where it's like, oh, this is like, you know, good old boy Texas. And here are these like traditional people, like old fashioned traditional people, but like, not really, (laughs) you know, like there is a reading of them instead that is actually, yeah, like a complete perversion of a domestic family and you know what a family is for like there's no reproduction there's no production really like we don't quite know what they're doing I mean I guess they're they're they have a small business <laughs> <laughs>
0: Petit bourgeoisie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah. but you know, there's no there's there's no typical like nuclear family productivity happening in that house, you know, like they're not the like the family that the right wing wants to protect
2: at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right they're showing up that fantasy of the family as bullshit right yeah which I love this is the raw family not the cooked family but this is you know oh I love that that's wonderful oh I love that this is the raw
0: family not the cooked family oh my god (laughs) put that on a fucking shirt so
1: this is a family abolition movie
2: (laughs) totally
0: (laughs) our cannibalism podcast is secretly also a family abolition podcast secretly at (laughs) all But, I,
2: I, yeah, I've been listening. You guys are you guys are yeah. on point. <laughs> we should have Sophie about on at some point.
1: Oh, we will. Yeah, she's Sophie is finishing a book right now. But when she's I done, know she's got big deadlines. She's a friend. I know. Of mine I'm gonna. <laughs> we're gonna definitely get her on. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> Hi, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I love that. I love that reading because I do think it also it subverts the you know sort of even like the marxist even like a traditional marxist reading of this you know this is like a queer marxist reading that you know like this is the the you know hard-working proletariat that's been put out of their jobs and like these asshole hippies are coming through (laughs) you know (laughs) that it's like yeah they are the hard-working proletariat that's been put out of their jobs but like those people get to be fucking weirdos too They're not, like, salt of the earth. I think that's an incredibly, like, patronizing way that, like, a lot of the left looks at, you know, like, farm workers and factory workers.
2: Yeah, totally. And I never thought about this before, but that in some ways that's, like, was the hippie dream. Like, we'll just go back to the land and, like, be natural, like the salt of the earth, too. And, like, all of that is, yeah, kind of shown up as, you know... Insensitive to not taking into account things like, hey, maybe people aren't given enough to eat or any work at all, and they're having to eat each other. And it's not, it's not like some kind of fantasy idol, you know, to be <laughs> in a rural situation. Yeah, but yeah, that kind of relates Ooh. to the the other gender question. I don't know uh, if we have time for, but um, yeah, it's just like no, let's let's do it. So. I was thinking on that note, like of of Leatherface's kind of queerness and the the female masks and the fact that he's always framed as a sort of male proletariat that is kind of threatening the, you know, bourgeois female kind of you know feminized young people. Or that's kind of the 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 dynamics that in by which like Clover talks about Urbinoia. But that, you know, because my thing is like social reproduction, but that, you know, with that sort of turn in neoliberalism and deindustrialization, like a lot of the work that people are doing is like reproductive labor and Mm -hmm. service work and that kind of thing. And that it's, you know, it could be read that, you know, Leatherface is that kind of new proletarian of feminized reproductive labor because Mm. he's like doing, you know, what is he doing? He's cooking food. He's serving food. He's doing it with for no money like yeah. like a, like a surplus you know labor labor works um and he's doing it in a way like with you know uh, i forgot what i was going to say but basically you know he 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 does all the kind of like feminized labor that we talk about and it's and yet he's you know that family is still always framed in terms of sort of masculinity and that was another parallel i was thinking about between like him and sally is they're both kind of final girls on that level of having been these kind of um feminized workers who are who who go through adversity and survive in the end (laughs)
1: Ooh, i love that i love leatherface as final girl too because you know obviously there's five million more
0: right?
2: right
1: yeah and there's a million more Texas Chainsaw Massacres, so like obviously Leatherface is like he's moving on.
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember in the sequel too, he like ends up kind of being an ally to the the final girl in that. Yes, um, in a weird way.
1: <laughs> yeah, he has he he has like a, some sort of sexual encounter and like which is odd, but <laughs> but yeah, I love that as you know thinking of how the nuclear family has shifted so much, um, you know, from like the fifties American dream where like, you know, whether that was ever true or not, that like, you know, one person could make money for the family to like the domestic worker, feminized worker who is like not making money, and working constantly, and then usually has like another job. Right, right. Yeah. And like how precarious that is, and how overwhelming that is, and you know, how little that is like understood as like the way families run.
2: Yeah, and it's almost like a work home situation. Like um you were saying there's that inner chamber of the the slaughterhouse has been literally brought home into the, the domestic space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's doing like all the, you know, reproductive and productive labor in the same space. And it's sort of how how work is being done now without any kind of actual fair wages or recompense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like Leatherface is the domestic worker and then also has to like, you know, it's like how so many women who are like taking care of kids at home and stuff have like Etsy shops and like sell oh. leggings <laughs> and shit. Like Leatherface well, like, yeah, they get into is making like sausages
2: at home. Oh my God, home. Leatherface well, is in an MLM.
0: He's in a pyramid scheme. Yeah, a sausage Oh my God, Texas Can't Massacre is sausage. about pyramid schemes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, okay, we got to make this but for a yeah. y'all. <laughs> you know, it'll be amazing. Well,
0: not right now because but of yeah. the strike, <laughs> right? Well, oh, yes, right. Um... <laughs> no writing, <laughs>
1: and then yeah, is like completely abused and undervalued by the other people who live in the house. I think that one scene that we talked about before where like he sits down and sighs. <laughs> so powerful yeah that we all talked about how important that scene is like it is so important because it's like this one moment where you get you kind of see his eyes and you you really feel for him like that's not a thing that i i think a lot of slashers let people into you know is like behind like what's going on behind like when no one else is around what's Leatherface face doing yeah
0: he has interiority yes totally. yeah. even though he, he wears does. masks it's yeah. like because i was reading it's like oh Leatherface doesn't really have a personality he just puts on you know he has to be domestic and cook and so he puts on the grandma mask you know he has to wear the suit and do whatever so he puts on the pretty woman mask like he has like these masks for whatever the occasion is but mm-hmm. like still like there's interiority there. Like, I would disagree with the statement that Leatherface is a blank slate that only wears these masks, right? Like, why else would he sit there and sigh, you know?
2: Right, like, he is like the most sympathetic character in the film. He is. He might be. Yeah, he might be. Yeah, because you don't get a gross. lot of
1: interiority to Sally. I mean, you really feel for. And her. she's also like mean to her
2: disabled brother. She is. Yeah. You know, it's like, and Leatherface
0: like accidentally like cuts himself open at one point, like his leg. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and so it's like he even like is opened up in a way that's Sally. Necessarily, Never like, is. yeah, her, yeah, yeah, like her, the blood is sucked from her finger and stuff, but like she's not cut open the way that all of the other characters are, including Leatherface, whose like final act is cutting himself open. In this,
1: yeah, basically. and the blood she's covered in is his; it's not hers. Yeah
2: and the way that he kills all of the people it just seems like clearly he thinks of it as a job just and it's it is similar to the way he killed cows like they scream but the cows made noises when he killed them right. and like he's supposed to be you know making you know you know killing and making food for his family and this is what food is now you know and it's it just seems like you know he's there's not real malice in it although the dinner scene they're all kind of laughing at her a little bit and stuff like that but generally they, it, don't <laughs> <laughs> they
1: don't get a lot of guests relatable
0: <laughs> <over laughs> oh you know? yeah. i not weird when guests come over too yeah it's <laughs> not weird when guests <laughs> come over
2: for the family parody that dinner scene i don't know if there's anything better too it's just oh my god so yeah. amazing just
1: all the family you know the this the, the like years of generational trauma and violence and you know the fact that it's all men you know air quotes air quotes (laughs) that's why it took a minute i was like "Mm, uh, yes air quotes men you know like the women are very conspicuously missing where are they Hmm. one of them's upstairs Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but you know who who like you know, who gave birth
2: to Leatherface? Yeah, I know it's like a autochthonist from the thighs of men. Yeah, yeah, oh, hell yeah. Leather, oh yeah, Leatherface,
1: the hitchhiker, and the what's the third the uh, cook cook they just call him cook yeah yeah they all came from the thighs of the grandfather <laughs> the vampire grandfather <laughs>
0: who <laughs> looks like and... the fucking david bowie vampire in the hunger when he gets old he
2: does <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly That's right. like he, he
2: does I he really that. does you're right
0: good one yeah it's a good
1: ass movie yeah do we have any like final thoughts or Final girl thoughts. <laughs> Final boy thoughts.
2: I feel like I didn't mention it, but I really love Splatter Capital by Mark Stephen. If anybody wants to read oh, more about yeah. this movie, shout out! I yeah, yeah, own it's, it. just, yeah. it's such a good book. So mm-hmm. I own it too,
1: and I'm gonna read. I'm gonna do a, uh, I think a reading. That's through Repeater,
0: right?
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's a. They they have book. great
0: sales all the time too. So.
2: There you go. Yeah. I actually have my first book through Repeater. They were nice. Hell, yeah! Yes! <laughs>
0: yeah! <Yes. laughs> nice. I guess my final thoughts would be sort of like how like the... the how little cannibalism is actually in this film, um, and yet it haunts the film in the culture. Right? Like how like the perception of this film versus the reality of this film and like how... Like, like you said, like cannibalism is like so abject um, that like even like the, a hint of it is enough to sort of like distort this film mm-hmm. in people's mm-hmm. yeah, minds. Like I, like, I don't that. hear yeah. people talking about. I mean, like, yeah, there's like the way that people talk about cannibal Holocaust, for example. But like, I feel like you know this gets put on like the s- scariest film of all time list, like as number one. And I'm like, yeah. really? But, like, I don't I mean, know. it's, it's very so, like,
1: scary, but not in the way you think it will be. Yeah. yeah.
0: it's It's so haunting. And it's, I think, partly because the cannibalism in it isn't necessarily s- sensationalized mm-hmm. um, the way it is that a lot of other, quote, like, cannibal movies like it's there but it's not like hey look here woo, cannibalism it's just like part of the other monstrosities and violence that it's all just part of the same violence of this film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I just like I was just so surprised at like how not I, I was expecting this to be the goriest thing I'd ever seen. And it was not <laughs> at all. Not even close, so, no. Yeah. Definitely. And then I do we do have to mention Richard Sykin. Oh yeah, people have other final thoughts. Kate, did you have anything?
1: I I just think yeah, it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, I think Joe, you said like thinking of it as an like an art film. I was very surprised, like how gorgeous. It's like disgusting and gorgeous, and it veers back and forth between those two things. Lot, it's like Leon something... in the
0: Hannibal episode, uh, Gross, gross and, gorgeous. and Gorgeous, which I yeah. love.
1: I always love anything. You know, there's all these yeah. beautiful like 70s sepia tones, sun flare, you know, golden. There's a lot of golden hour in here. Totally. Oh, it's
0: so pretty.
1: Yeah, just shots beautiful shots that are
2: really beautiful.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, the scene where Sally is running through all these like tangled knotted up weeds and it looks like she's like caught in like you know she's like a little fly caught in a nest i'm sure it was shot in just like some random backyard filled with weeds and it's like it looks incredible
0: that she actually got you cut know? on like, a it's lot just... of that blood is real because it yeah was, like, her yeah i'm her. sure she got
1: <laughs> yeah like i mean you can tell like how hard it must have been to go through that you know you can see it and then I think also just, yeah, like the art, you know, as someone who's a visual artist, like the, you know, the, the way that the corpses are shown, again, like reminds me of Hannibal a little bit at the beginning and just like all the photography and sort of the, the thoughtfulness about like images and image production. And then it also being a film and like, you know, it's also making images I think are it's just very interesting. There's like le- many many levels to to it, and I think like people who are into like the I guess like the materiality of film and photography I think would love it because it it feels very much like it plays around in those worlds.
0: I think Ash loves this movie. I think I've heard. Yeah, them say I could that. see that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's very much like mm-hmm. about
1: material and sounds and and. Uh, mechanics and yeah it's like not pre technological but it's pre like computer and like nothing mm. is like you know automatic like a, everything is like you have to like forward your film
0: it's a very analog I mean, yes. yes
2: very yeah. analog yes yeah and that's like set up with the very first thing of the, the sculpture of skeletons on mm-hmm. the yeah. uh, gravestone as a kind of the, the emblem of art making in a deteriorating world or, which we'll find out later that Hitch is actually the artist of that, you know, you know cemetery.
1: Yeah. Ugh,
2: yeah. Do you have so any beautiful. final thoughts?
1: Other? Anyone else have any? other things and then we could get into Richard Siken. <laughs> Very <laughs> cool. Cannibalism in right? the
0: news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are almost a, an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so Richard Siken is one of my favorite poets. He's this gay poet. And if you've ever read any gay fan fiction on an archive of our own, if a title of a fan fiction is all in lowercase, Nine times out of ten, it's from a Richard Saiken poem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love his stuff. I think he's great. And he's recently been getting more active on social media, coming out as someone who, like, actually likes Slashfic and has written some, um, which I thought was just fascinating, right? And he made a meme today that was the, like, <laughs> this is this, change my mind meme. And it was, um, cannibalism is selfish, change my mind because there's like you know we are not the only people talking about cannibalism right now um a lot of it's hot people in, yeah a lot of people <laughs> more in like fandom circles i would say like on twitter and on tumblr and stuff are really leaning into the more like romanticized metaphor of like consuming something and love yeah, and desire devouring. in that way yeah and like that is very prevalent in fandom circles right now i would say and so he made that uh meme i don't think he's wrong um because like yeah cannibalism is a like just because something is desiring and even romantic doesn't mean it also can't be dark right like these are things that can exist at the same time and uh yeah so i just find it fascinating that like richard sykin is like talking about cannibalism on his twitter like this like poet i love and then Kate apparently you talked to him and i need no, to No, i about just it. tweeted
1: at him like as a joke i didn't think he would ever get back to me but i said richard syken come on tender subject and he was like oh i said come on our cannibalism podcast and he was like i hope it's an anti-cannibalism podcast <laughs> and i was like well of course, we're not cannibals. <laughs> this isn't like a cooking show, but we do, you know, we recognize that there it that there are artists who use like metaphors of cannibalism as desire and devouring as, you know, something interesting and like there's people who have done that extremely well. And then there's also like we talked about with the cannibalism manifesto that like it's used as a metaphor for colonialism so it's extremely complicated. or like as a
0: way to combat colonialism right know, totally. right yeah and
1: it's like you know it's complicated it's like you know it's a lot of people are playing around in the <laughs> the bloody sandbox of cannibalism at the moment um <laughs> you know for many reasons like clearly we're living in a completely wild chaotic time that makes no sense and cannibalism kind of makes no sense and so it's an interesting thing to think about. But yeah, so he wrote back and he basically said like he doesn't come on to podcasts. It's not what he does. Um he writes poems. And I was like, "Fair enough." And then he said, "Read Good some of you. my new poems and tell me you love them." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> I should just respond with the like yes sir emoji.
0: <laughs> it's like a salute or
1: yeah the salute
0: yeah i mean i do i i need to read his new poems um, yeah i do i do love his poetry um he's mainly been writing about like he's been recovering from a stroke
1: yes yes
0: so he's been mainly been like writing about like that and i think also like maybe like the death of his dad or the death of his parents or something yeah um i don't i don't know but um
1: it's funny yeah when people go yeah. on twitter but they're not like cuz i feel like that whole like come on my podcast or whatever is just like more it's just twitter talk <laughs> and he like yeah, took like... it very seriously that was like <laughs> oh no i don't go on podcasts i you know it's like <laughs> no no you don't have to it's okay it was just a joke <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to respond Kidnap to me him either
2: sir make him yeah get on your podcast yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it would be
0: cool I do love Richard Siken, but um, yeah I'm not sure bully him uh, to no bully
1: I'm him. not gonna bully a, man, a poet we're not bullying po- <laughs> we're not poet. in the business of
0: everyone go read the everyone go read crush though it's Got a it's lot of solid
2: Wonderful. Poems. Yeah. I'm really excited. I'd, I hadn't heard of him, so now I'm going to go out and read him. So yeah, yeah.
0: Like, if you've ever heard, like, you're in the car with a beautiful boy and you're trying to tell him that you love him, like, that. that that's from one of his poems. Oh, um,
2: really uh, like. I feel like my stepkid is into him. Yeah. Aww. Oh, yeah. yeah what yeah. a great yeah. I'm old. Kid. I'm super old. So. <laughs> yeah. They are the fucking best. Oh, Shout man. out to Finn if they listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Shouts out. Shout <laughs> out. The only reason uh, I know it. Um, anything about young people's doings
1: <laughs> nice tight it's good yeah. to have that around oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what i use J for just kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah and even i'm like i don't like i i work at a graduate school and even i'm like what are you all talking about <laughs> <laughs> and you know so i don't know but Yeah, so this was super fun. Oh my god! Thanks for coming on, Joe. Like it was such a pleasure to have you on, and like I finally had an excuse to make me finally fucking watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yay! And it was incredible. Hopefully, I'll watch it again where I don't have to basically have it muted.
1: (laughs) Yeah, turn it all the way (laughs) up. (laughs) But it was an interesting
0: viewing experience, I will say, because I was tense. I was like, I hope I don't wake my roommates up. (laughs) <laughs> I hope I don't scare my cooking roommate, whatever, you know, so um, yeah, so thank you. Um, yeah, if you want to just like, tell the the perverts at home, um, where they can find you if you want to be found, uh, where they can read your stuff, any of that, go for it. It's all yours.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. So I have the book, uh, Stepford Daughters Weapons for Feminists and Contemporary Horror. So i love it if you read it. Um, you can look at the journal Blind Field, it's a kind of feminist, anti capitalist uh, journal online. I am old, so I'm on Facebook, and I have a <laughs> a site called a uh, really creatively titled uh, anti capitalist feminist who like horror. There, <laughs> hell yeah! Um, I am on Twitter, but I I don't do that much on it. But um, at stepford daughter,
0: hell yeah! And um, I might all of those like actually links use links will be in the notes.
2: Please yeah. come on. It's a fun group, actually. It's pretty big now. Like, it's, I mean, okay, I think, but yeah. And it's, and we have so that good might be the, yeah. yeah,
1: the only reason why I would go back to Facebook.
2: Yeah. So, Yay. Yeah. Let's all go on.
0: <laughs> let's let's <fucking laughs> not do to be an it. ad
2: for Facebook, but you know, let's
1: do we do it. what we do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just
0: give me the link and I will put it in the show notes. Yes. Okay, cool. I will do so. Sweet. Oh, this was
2: super fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I, I've been an avid listener. And yeah um, oh, I love it. Thank yay. You. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
0: All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. We are still really bad at ending our podcast. We'll yeah, figure we don't out how a, to do it one we don't day. Have an ending yet, ba- but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I put some fucking snooty Baroque music at that the end fun. for the Hannibal one. But, oh, uh, that's yeah, good. Maybe just have,
2: like, the sound of the chainsaw at the end of this one. Oh, that's really good. I love that. Thank you.
1: Thank you for the production notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I'll put
0: that right here. Good night.